Welcome to the Blaze TV special, Uncensored, The Fatal Truth of COVID Vaccines. I am Sarah Gonzalez, the host of The News and Why It Matters. And uh, in November 2020, eight months after the COVID pandemic began here in the United States, big pharmaceutical giant Pfizer reported on their test results of their upcoming state-of-the-art new shiny COVID vaccine. Now, according to Pfizer, the shot was 95% effective at preventing infection and caused no serious safety concerns. Okay. Of course, many Americans who had altered their lives because of a virus or had the government alter it for them thought, great news, the pandemic would finally be over. Holiday gatherings, football games, parties and vacations could all return if only everyone complied with this new magic jab. But why wouldn't you? Our public health officials made it clear all the COVID vaccines developed so quickly with so little data were undoubtedly safe and effective. And so Americans quickly lined up, first the elderly and immunocompromised, then adults, then teenagers, then healthy children, and even infants who, statistically speaking, were not at risk from the virus at all. Now, some of us said, you know what? This all seems pretty quick. I don't think I'd like to be a guinea pig for a brand new technology that's never been used en masse, and I think I'll wait for some long-term data. But a large portion of the country complied, just as they had been doing the year before, perhaps believing that this would finally be the ticket back to normalcy the government kept promising. Well, life since then has been anything but normal. A year and a half later, we've seen athletes in peak health dropping dead mid-game. Young, healthy celebrities are suffering from heart attacks and strokes, blood clots, weakened immune systems, myocarditis. But don't worry, it's only mild heart damage. Menstrual cycle changes in women, fertility issues in men. Once called unhinged conspiracy theories, these side effects are slowly being proven true. Or, of course, the rise of sudden adult death syndrome is purely coincidental, but uh, we'll let you decide. We here at Blaze TV have done what we could to get the information out to you, to show you the data, you know, the actual science. But big tech has done everything they can to prevent that from happening because it's a conversation they've deemed unsafe. Countless journalists and commentators, including myself and the others here at this table, have been censored for speaking the truth about these deadly injections, tarred and feathered for spreading disinformation that threatened our entire democracy, or so they said. The dangers of COVID misinformation, disinformation, it's uh, killed people uh, left and right. One of the major reasons why we have 200,000 American deaths is because of the anti-vaccine, anti-science initiative that the president helped launch in 2015, 2016. The misinformation and the lies, they're killing us and they're killing our democracy. Were Utah a truly civilized place, the governor's next move would be to deploy the National Guard to ensure that people without proof of vaccination would not be allowed well anywhere. On COVID misinformation, what's your message to platforms like Facebook? Hmm. Well, tonight we have all the data, all the studies. We have expert testimony from Dr. Peter McCullough and research from myself, as well as Blaze TV host of the Steve Dace show and author of the Fauci and Bargain, Steve Dace, and podcast Blaze podcast host and senior editor at theblaze.com and most banned colleague on Facebook and now Twitter, Daniel Horowitz. Tonight, we are finally going to bring you the truth about the COVID-19 vaccines uncensored.
Steve and Daniel, um, I can't imagine how uh, cathartic it might feel to uh, finally speak freely without fear of getting banned. Although, Daniel, I, I don't think you had that fear because now you are banned. Uh, but I want to I want to first get into how this independent COVID vaccine discussion just became verboten. And you just, you couldn't mention it. You'd get banned off the face of the planet uh, for talking about, you know, questioning science. That used to be something that we were allowed to do. That's mm -hmm. kind of the, the whole point of science is that you're always supposed to be questioning it. It's really never settled. Or so we thought until this magic, uh, this magic jab, right? Daniel, I, you're, you're done. You're done for, for Twitter. Facebook, everywhere else except Telegram, I think. So I have nothing to lose. Yeah, I have what, nothing to lose. What, how, so, how did we get here? So look, and you can find my truth bombs at C19 Truth Bombs on Telegram, but I'm off of Twitter. And the reason is this, commensurate with how damaging and false a narrative is, is how vociferous they're going to censor. Because like a door that's opened a little bit, a crack that lets in so much light with just 1% open, mm -hmm. if you have 1% dissent, they cannot tolerate it. And the reason they can't tolerate it is because a year and a half into this democide, and that's genocide committed by government, it is incontrovertibly clear, as we're speaking now, the president of the United States, the commander-in-chief of the military, to whom he is mandating that if you're a 20-year Navy SEAL, your career is done, even if you're allergic to the contents of the shot, he got four of these and he already got the virus. And you know what? This is just the opening bid. We're now starting to see they get the virus multiple times after getting the shot. So we were told it was safe and effective and anyone who speaks out is killing people. In fact, what we're gonna show tonight is it's unsafe, negatively effective, and they are the ones killing people. Everything that you played there in that clip that they accused us of doing, I recently taught my son the vocabulary word projection. This is the ultimate case of projection. Yeah. Daniel's kind of talking about what the end game of this is, where we now see the president uh, being failed by the very system that he tried to impose on us. I mean, it, we're talking cosmic levels of schadenfreude, Sarah. That, I mean, this guy tried to violate the, the spirit and letter of the Constitution, every God-given right, the spirit and letter of the Nuremberg Code to try to impose this dangerous experimental jab on people only to then have it fail him. Mm. But I think mm. if you go to the beginning, the very beginning of this conversation and look at how things started, the genesis of it, if you will, because we are talking, I think, now about something that is beyond science, a rival religion. Um, you're, you're really, sh we really should have known from the beginning that this was flawed. They spent over a decade and countless tens of millions of dollars trying to come up with a workable vaccine against the first SARS in the, in the early 2000s. And, you know, it's coming up with a compound in a lab in today's modern science that would push back on a viral infection isn't the hard part. It's yeah. can we then inject that into masses of people and what will it take to do that? They spent over a decade trying to do this for the first SARS and they couldn't do it. They finally had to give up. Now the second SARS shows up and we're told it is a <clears throat> novel coronavirus and somehow they were able to stick the landing on this in nine months. Mm -hmm. When you look at the history of this, Moderna, which from an efficacy standpoint, their shot is actually the most effective. However, they failed 
nine previous attempts to bring in a messenger RNA product to market. They failed their nine previous attempts before Operation Warp Speed. Moderna had never brought a successful product to market ever. And they were handed a blank checkup for billions of dollars by the U.S. government via Operation Warp Speed, despite no record of achievement whatsoever. Merck, one of the biggest big pharma companies, actually gave up its quest for a successful vaccine because they realized halfway through they couldn't do it. And yet Moderna, who was previously 0 for 9, and eight of those products didn't even make it to human trials. They failed so early in the vetting process, they didn't even make it to human trials. And now all of a sudden with a, again, novel coronavirus, they were gonna figure this whole thing out in nine months. That should have been the first clue right there that something smells rotten here in the state of Denmark. Mm. From the very beginning, this thing has had a foul stench to it, and now it has a lot of foul data. Yeah, uh, another person who has been, has had his fair share of experience being banned uh, and, you know, his medical misinformation eliminated from social media is, of course, world-renowned cardiologist and epidemiologist, Dr. Peter McCullough. Um, I asked him, this question, you know, how did you go from being this world-renowned physician to basically being the supervillain when it comes to COVID misinformation? How did we get here? And uh, I want you guys to hear what he says for himself. Watch. How did you go from one of the most respected cardiologists in American history to what seems to be, you know, being smeared as like the greatest supervillain ever when it comes to COVID misinformation? Yeah, I never anticipated this could possibly happen. I'm the most published person in my field in the world in history. I had devised a, a hypothesis that was fully explored over the last several decades that heart, the heart and kidneys communicate with each other, they influence each other in health and disease, and that became basically a very tractable line of investigation that led to in vitro diagnostics and therapeutics since there are common intermediaries like diabetes, high blood pressure, etc. And because of that, uh, you know, I was the editor of two major uh, journals, Cardiorenal Medicine, Reviews in Cardiovascular Medicine. I was a frequent lecturer all over the world. 2018, I was the named uh, endowed lecturer at Harvard. I uh, lectured in uh, you know, two different major departments. I've uh, lectured at the New York Academy of Sciences. I presented at the European Medicine Association. I've presented at the FDA Congressional Oversight Panel. I mean, I've done a lot in my career uh, to be perfectly credible yeah. as an analyst. I've actually chaired day safety monitoring boards for over two dozen trials. There may be no other physician with an MD behind their name who's actually done that in the United States. I know product safety inside out, backwards and forwards. So when COVID-19 hit, it was so clear to me that if we didn't treat it early, yeah. that the virus was gonna slaughter our senior citizens and I was not gonna let that happen on my watch. I worked feverishly, I got large grants, I got investigation and drug application with the FDA. I was an overall name principal investigator in some other large programs and I worked with others and we devised a treatment approach and literally within six months we had a home treatment guide. I had major papers published on this and the degree of censorship that I started to receive on early treatment before the vaccines made me believe that those who were actually actively suppressing treatment were doing so in order to ultimately promote the vaccines. They were ready for this. So if we look at those who are most actively suppressing early treatment, NIH, CDC, and FDA, the American Medical Association, all the major medical colleges, they are the same ones who are in an unbridled fashion promoting the vaccines. And the first time I told Tucker Carlson that on his long program, Last year, I said, Tucker, I, I think the two are linked. I, I think they're actually 
intentionally promoting fear, suffering, hospitalization, and death in order to prepare the population to accept these vaccines. Trust the experts, Steve, but uh, not that one. We're talking about arguably the most decorated cardiologist in American history, founder and editor of multiple medical journals, and now suddenly he's a crackpot. And yet the more and more the data comes out, the more and more it confirms everything that he has been questioning. Here is the best case scenario. The best case scenario is that they, they lied to us in order to hurt us, not into herd immunity, but to hurt us into a vaccine program that they genuinely thought was going to be the long-term uh, tourniquet against, again, a novel coronavirus, which I might describe as a bioweapon. That is the best case scenario, that they lied, and in doing so, uh, allowed for almost an entire calendar year, millions of people who got the virus to go untreated with things. You know, I, I sat here, Daniel, all of 2020 as an, asthm, as an asthmatic as a kid. So I know all about respiratory inflammations. I was in and out of hospitals all of the time. I, I've had every version of inhaler you can imagine. The idea that we just acted as if there's nothing we could do in the year 2020 or the year 2021 to treat the symptoms of respiratory inflammation was absolutely asinine, and yet that's exactly what we did. I think this is really the Rosetta Stone of the entire vaccine issue. Before we get into the data on both the safety, negative efficacy, what Dr. McCullough mentioned, what you're talking about, the fact that they vociferously opposed treatment for the first time mm-hmm. in history, mm-hmm. I would cover for years congressional testimony. We saw Dr. Pierre Corey's testimony, and this is a pulmonologist in the ICU saying we got to treat this. His testimony was pulled down from YouTube. And that's when I realized this is not just, hey, something that came around in the world that was opportunistic for them to use to control us. But I began to use the word genocide because there is no way you don't know how to treat pulmonary inflammation, especially mm-hmm. at the beginning. Dr. McCullough, as much as he's the most decorated cardiologist, he's also the first to publish in major publications protocols for mm-hmm. treating right. COVID. He's still an active clinician, not just an academic. We yes. should point that out. Right. He's an active He's clinician. an internist. He's yeah, a board-certified yeah. internist as well. So he was treating them. To this day, he treats both vaccine injury and COVID treatment. And the thing is, if this was just about COVID is terrible, we're willing to do stupid things, naive things, even destructive things for COVID. But nonetheless, COVID's it. Well, by golly, if you have a 70-year-old who comes down with it, if you're going to mask a two-year-old that doesn't have symptoms, so certainly a 70-year-old comes down with it, you're going to come in there with the inhaled budesonide and the anti-inflammatories, antivirals, uh, give him aspirin to make sure he's not clotting. And they knew this from day one. And they were like, no, and we're going to censor you. It was like, you know, ivermectin became worse than the Confederate flag for social media purposes. <laughs> it was literally the worst a thing A Nobel could do. Prize winning drug. And not 50 years ago, five years before COVID, it won the Nobel it, Prize. It made, it made no sense. It was like, why? What's, what's right or left about that? You know, uh, Steve and I have, have pushed the envelope for many years, and I've, you know, never shied away from political issues. But I never found an issue where it was literally at the blaze. It was a no-fly zone. We couldn't write about treating COVID. Mm -hmm. Treating COVID. That is when I realized, no, no, no. They want people to die from COVID. So therefore, what is up with their bioweapon that they now want to use? And yes, that's what got me banned. But as we're going to show, it is a bioweapon because it's very similar to the pathogen itself. 
What is up with that? And again, this is not a mistake. This is not something like, oops, I didn't realize. Because one more point on this, and Steve and I have talked about this a lot. Sarah, you have to understand, you know, they say we're, we're, we, have to, we have to make wartime decisions. But a wartime decision is something that is one and done. It's irrevocable. Do you send the troops in this way that can get these thousand killed or these thousand killed? Here, every day we woke up was a new day to do the right thing. Okay, so they could have started over at any point. They could have started over. So, you know, this was, we're willing to accept a little bit more damage and adverse events to combat COVID. Okay, fine. But then the myocarditis, the neurological, the VAERS, the studies, the menstrual, and, and commensurate with how much we discovered it was safe and ineffective is how much they ramped up the mandates. Remember, the mandates didn't start to like August, eight months later, and how much they lowered the age stratification to push it increasingly on those who weren't even at risk for the virus. Yeah, um, so I wanna get into, you You started mentioning all of the, the studies that we now have that have come out. They say it's safe, It's both safe and effective, right? So let's let's tackle the issue of effectiveness here. So do they actually work? We know how effective, of course, the pharmaceutical companies claimed that the vaccine was, but uh, let's just remember for a second what our own public health experts were saying after this jab was introduced, watch. You're okay. You're not going to. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. These vaccines are highly, highly effective. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus. Don't get sick. They're really, really good against variants. Everyone who takes the vaccine is not just protecting themselves, but reducing their transmission uh, to other people and allowing society to get back to normal. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. You know, we didn't have vaccines that block transmission. We got vaccines that help you with your health, but they only slightly reduce the transmissions. We need a new, Wait, but you just said a new way of doing the vaccine. Reports from our international colleagues, including Israel, suggest increased risk of severe disease amongst those vaccinated early. The plan is for every, every adult to get a booster shot. Uh, clearly one of the best investments uh, I've ever been involved in. I bet so, Bill, I bet so. Uh, gentlemen, effectiveness. So here, here's the deal. If you go to our world in data and you can easily see the take up of the vaccine and you can easily see uh, the, death, the death curve, you know, how many millions of people have died, roughly 75% of all the deaths that are ascribed to COVID took place after December 2020. And then you go- as When we, the jabs were introduced. When they were introduced. And now you go- to all these countries, New Zealand, Australia, Taiwan, South Korea, the Pacific Rim, and these countries are important because for whatever reason, for two years, the first two years, they barely had issues. They had some cases here and there, not that many, no deaths, ostensibly no excess deaths. It did not visit them. Fast forward to where we live in today, New Zealand has the highest death rate, COVID death rate, and they're having almost 100% of their deaths after everyone already had boosters. And I should remind you, this is Omicron, which is not fundamentally pathogenic in the lungs. So how is it that you had the stronger variant, almost no deaths, and now with the weakest variant, somehow they are getting all of their deaths now? 
So I, I want to throw in in here, Steve. I want to hear from you, of course. But I want to throw in here. You're talking about uh, all of the, you know, New Zealand and all of these places. Let's look at Canada. Just recently, uh, Alex Berenson came out with this on his Substack. Vaccinated people are now more likely to be hospitalized or die from COVID, even after adjusting for the fact that they're older than the unvaccinated. This is this is like publicly available data. This is on the government website uh, in May, this is the most recent month for which figures are available, only 9% of COVID deaths and 14% of hospital admissions in Manitoba occurred among unvaccinated people, even though they are 17% of the population. And uh, look, if you just look at that, the death bar graph right there, that the green is the, that's the fully vaccinated, so. Something so might be so wrong. before uh, some single-celled organism jumps into the comments section, it's rates, not whole numbers, morons. Okay, because everybody jumps into the converse, the comment section whenever these points come up and say, "Well, my people have been vaccinated now, right. so they're going to be." Well, yeah. first of all, your point's dumb because that. What else? What other freaking reason did you get vaccinated right. then, other than not be on that chart? Right. Okay, right. Right. so so you buy your even your own standards dumb, but no, we're looking at rates, not whole numbers here, and I think that that is what is important. But even if we weren't, even if we were actually looking at whole numbers, didn't you take an experimental jab so that you wouldn't end up on that chart? Is that not what you were promised? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course you were. And I started looking at some of the data that were coming out from around the country, around the world, particularly Israel and UK. And it was about this time last year, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. August of September of last year. I came on my show and I just warned the audience and I said, listen, everybody here is going to have now a choice to make because these things have no shot at holding back. The, the, the virus from an infection standpoint. They are what they call in vaccinology a leaky vaccine. There are two kinds of vaccines. There's a perfect vaccine. That's the stuff they gave us when we were kids, you know, not to, to go to public school, that, the, the, the stuff that's kind of been tried and true. And then there are what are called leaky vaccines. Those are vaccines that do not stop the spread of infection. They're not an inoculation. They sometimes try to rebrand them as therapeutics, like a flu shot, yeah. okay? But the problem you have here is even if for a while, and I said this to my audience, even if for a while, they continue to hold back against serious infection. It won't make a difference because since they won't stop the spread of the virus, we'll just make up for it in volume, meaning so many people will get infected anyway that it won't matter that for a limited period of time they held back serious infection because this thing is going, the, the infection level is going to skyrocket above where it was before, which means everybody has a choice. You're going to take a chance here. You're going to take a chance with a bioweapon slash leaked virus of malicious origin, and we don't know what the long-term ramifications are to even an asymptomatic exposure to, or you're going to take a chance with getting repeated and never-ending repeated uh, regimen of injections. I said this last year, you'll be getting these every four to six months, mm -hmm. and, and it'll be a never-ending thing. And, we, and every time you do, the risk of adverse effect will compound because it's another round of 300 million shots. It's another mm -hmm. round of 300 million shots. It's another round of 300 million shots. It's literally playing Russian roulette. And the idea that we should have been out there mandating that you choose one of these venues when either side is taking a lot of risk here didn't make sense from the from my health department to the from the beginning so it was clear that it was never about health it was about power and control and what's very interesting is you know i would say all all of us at this table obviously not dr mccullough we never studied vaccinology before but this is the type of thing that if you're in the business it was abc's it was no-brainer biology 101 see on paper it's okay to have something that defrays some of the symptoms, ameliorates some of the symptoms, but you still get it. Well, that's fine. We, we don't want death and hospitalization, but if you still get it like a flu, that's fine. But the problem is 
there's something called subtraction by addition with microbiology. When you go and you challenge an ongoing pandemic and you mass vaccinate with a leaky, non-sterilizing, suboptimal antibodies that only recognize the spike protein, and then now it's for an old strain, that's where you get negative This efficacy. is important because the advocates compare this. Well, why do you guys not want to get these all the time? You get a, a flu shot every year. It's for a different strain every yeah. single year. Mm-hmm. We're not, you're not getting injected for the 2015 strain of flu when you go to get a flu shot next flu season. Exactly. And then, and then there's the concept of immune imprinting. Again, we did not know anything about this, but it's very intuitive. And we're going to present what we're seeing epidemiologically, geographically around the world from day one, pretty early on in the vaccination. Remember that Harvard researcher, um, he's a demographer that looked at 3,000 U.S. counties, a bunch of European countries, and he found actually a weak reverse correlation. And that was for the original strain. Now it's been much stronger. And uh, there was a hit piece done on me and where they would actually, they went back to that researcher and made him say, well, I still believe in the vaccine. Okay, that, that might be nice, but epidemiologically, you should see nationwide, you should see internationally, globally, some sort of correlation with something that's 95% effective mm-hmm. against death and hospitalization with lower COVID rates to higher vaccination rates. And every study that has looked at that has found the opposite. Obviously, we had the last month, Portugal had the most COVID deaths in the world, yet they were the most vaccinated Mm -hmm. major European country for which the New York Times said there's nobody left to vaccinate there. And on this point, I want to take a listen here just so we could understand this wasn't a novel concept. Oh, you mean you could have a leaky half-baked negative effective vaccine? Fauci and people like him knew this from day one. Here's what 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 uh, Dr. Fauci had to say March 25th, 2021, or I'm sorry, 2020. This is very early on. Mark Zuckerberg was saying, look, why can't we just get a vaccine? Let's get it going. Let's put put an end to this. He said it's not so simple. Doing the safety trials, obviously, is, is incredibly important because you want to make sure that you're not injecting people with something that, that could uh, be harmful. But once you have that, why not push harder on um, rolling it out more aggressively, even if you don't know exactly how effective it is? Um, you know, what's the public health rationale and, and thinking behind um, needing to prove that it's extremely effective before rolling out something that you know is, um, is, is safe? Okay, that's a good question. The initial safety uh, study, Mark, is to see if I inject it in the arm, does it have some sort of idiosyncratic or bad reaction. There's another element to safety, and that is if you vaccinate someone and they make an antibody response and then they get exposed and infected, does the response that you induce actually enhance the infection and make it worse? And the only way you'll know that is if you do an extended study, not in a normal volunteer, who has no risk of infection, but in people who are out there in a risk situation. This would not be the first time, if it happened, that a vaccine that looked good in initial safety actually made people worse. There was the history of the respiratory syncytial virus vaccine in children, which paradoxically made the children worse. 
one of the HIV vaccines that we tested several years ago actually made individuals more likely to get infected. So you can't just go out there and give it unless you feel that in the field, when someone is getting infected and exposed, being vaccinated doesn't make them worse. That's why you got to do a trial. So, I mean, Sarah and Steve, that was phenomenal because that was from day one. That was seven months before anyone was injected. So you can't say that's something that they learned now. Mm -hmm. They understood a couple things there. So with HIV, there was a concept that they learned that you could have something that the more you inject, the more you infect, that you're actually giving them the pathogen. And this is what we're seeing now epidemiologically. Uh, Dr. McCullough will tell you all the doctors, in fact, only the doctors who treat COVID, will tell you that qualitatively the vaccinated ones are actually getting it worse now. Um, he, he mentioned the fact that are the RSV vaccine, well, that was a respiratory virus. And it's understood that blood-based antibodies are not so oriented towards dealing properly with a respiratory tract illness. And notice he said antibodies. Everyone's groomed into thinking antibodies are some mellifluous sounding thing. God created our bodies in a way to produce the right type and the right amount in the right location at the right time. You can't just produce random antibodies. As Steve said earlier, with all the money we have in technology and Pfizer getting the un- unlimited Federal Reserve printing, uh, they were able to, yeah, you could play around in the lab with this, produce an antibody response. Think now that they're approving infant shots based on what? None of those clinical trials right. he said you need antibody responses in a lab. Oh, do you have an antibody response? Who's to say that's not going to create antibody-dependent disease enhancement and make your body respond to the wrong pathogen? Who's to say it's not going to create – he didn't use the term, but Dr. Paul Offit, uh, one of the members of the FDA advisory committee, used that a couple months ago in the New England Journal of Medicine, original antigenic sin, that if you constantly dump antibodies for version A, you're going to train the body to misfire – And that's why you see people like Jen Psaki and others who are now getting COVID multiple times after getting the shot. Because, again, everything's Orwellian, the opposite of what they say. Not only does it achieve herd immunity, it prevents you from ever getting immunity. Which I guess is why the CDC had to actually change the definition right. of vaccine, uh, you know, before pre, pre-COVID, because we live in an era where it's just pre-COVID and post-COVID. Pre-COVID, uh, the definition of vaccine was a product that stimulates a person's immune system to produce immunity to a specific disease, protecting the person from that disease. Once the rollout of the vaccines, uh, clearly they fumbled and people were still getting COVID. They quietly changed the the definition to a preparation that is used to stimulate the body's immune response against diseases. That's a much softer sounding uh, vaccine definition than the previous one. Well, we live in an era where the border is secure when it's controlled by human traffickers. Uh, Women are elevated when they're replaced by men. Elections are secure when we have 4 a.m. drop boxes for ballots that later on state Supreme Court's rule are completely illegal. Mm -hmm. And a vaccine is now something that does not actually protect you from that which you were getting inoculated against. So it's really uh, it's on par. Uh, It's par for the course. It's on brand for the era in which we live. I mean, has anyone ever asked? I mean, this is a basic question I want our viewers to, to think about. How is it that we are two and a half years into this? 
and there is no sign of it abating. The Spanish flu ended by that point. Correct. There is no reason, naturally, this should be going on and on. And again, I think one hero in this is Dr. Gert Vandenbosch. Mm -hmm. This is someone who worked for Gavi. He worked for the Gates Foundation. He was a vaccinologist his whole life. And everyone was focusing, even those who focused on concerns about the vaccine, focused more about the ingredients and safety concerns. And he brought up this point of viral immune escape making the thing worse, challenging a pandemic with a half-baked suboptimal antibody response that we now know he knew about. And also, you talk about definitions. Steve, you know, if you would go right now on the FDA's website, their label, their printed label for commodity, because that's the one that got the full licensure, licensure. Um, and then you go to Merck's uh, license for the MMR, okay, things that are considered safe, long-standing, sterilizing vaccines. It has the same language. Now, they, they are literally prosecuting people. The Federal Trade Commission, and this is something that passed under Trump at the beginning of the pandemic, they're prosecuting people for um, marketing vitamin D pills, zinc, you know, certain things to treat COVID. Okay, here in this case, mind you, if you're a doctor, you, you are allowed to push any treatment you want. The label is meant for one thing, the manufacturer cannot sell it for something it doesn't do. To this day, Pfizer's label has that of a sterilizing vaccine to this day, hmm. while the president of the United States has COVID after four of these. I think you bring up a, a, an important point with Gary Vandenbosch, and that's a name that I would urge our audience to, to get to know well and to follow his work and his prophecies closely because everything that he has been forecasting and warning about for the better part of a year appears to be coming true. And to try to explain this, when, when you and I got into this business, we had no intention of knowing what in the world a T-cell was, but here we are, okay? <laughs> Uh, here, this is the best way I understand what, what Geert is trying to, to show us because he's operating at a level above us and above most of our audiences. To give you a sports analogy, if if, 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 if an if a NBA basketball player decides he's going to go play against a bunch of kids in an elementary school, okay, a, a marginal NBA basketball player, decides he's going to go play against a bunch of kids in an elementary school, he is going to look like the last son of Krypton. He's going to reject every shot. He's going to dunk every ball. He is going to be dramatically superior to them on a small-e evolutionary scale, right? They're underdeveloped. Okay, is he that much better of a player? If he, if he went back to the NBA against his peers, would he suddenly be the second coming of Michael Jordan? No, he's just up against an inferior level of competition. That's what's happening here. We are putting an inferior level, smally, evolutionary level of opponent up against this jab. Yep. That's why it persists. That's why it, it attenuates and it, 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 it diminishes as it attenuates. That's what the attenuation means, but it doesn't go away. We don't ever reach herd immunity. That's why it lingers. That's why, the, that's why, that's why we have graphs like what you showed earlier, where the jab now are the most likely to have a serious outcome. It's because what they have done to their immune systems via this jab and repeated versions and, of jabbing has, has diminished their immune system. They're the elementary school kids now, all right? He's still a marginal NBA player. This is still a virus that before we treated anybody, we had eight months with no protocols. Eight months with no protocols. Before, for eight months, we told people, go home and don't come back until you can't breathe and we'll put you on a ventilator and it's literally a flip of a coin if you ever walk out of your life. We did that for eight months before we had any of these jabs, all right? During that period of time, unless you were 75 or morbidly obese, 99.7% you were surviving this jab. 
or this this virus. Yeah. This is largely Delta was was a worse variation. Yes, yes. All right. And but which, of course, came on right when they began to jab. Yes. OK. But at its heart, it, it's still very much un unlikely that you're going to die of this without those sorts of pre-existing conditions unless you have the ultimate pre-existing condition now. And that is you have engaged in immunosuppression through a repeated regimen of these jabs. It's still the same marginal NBA player it was in 2020. It's just you have damaged your immune yeah. system and have, are putting an inferior immune system up against that combatant. Yeah, um, I talked to Dr. McCullough uh, about this a little bit. He had just uh, given some sworn testimony to the Texas Senate uh, talking about, you know, uh, this vaccine program, it doesn't work. And they, their answer for this seems to be, let's just keep taking more and more. Let's listen to some of that. Under sworn testimony in Monday in the Texas Senate, I was the final witness to testify, but others testified as well. And what came out in the testimony is it almost seems as if the vaccine program actually isn't about COVID. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's about something else. So if mm -hmm. the vaccines don't work, it doesn't matter. Here, keep taking more. Right. If the vaccines aren't safe, it uh, doesn't matter. Uh, here, force it on your employees. What if the employees die? Well, it doesn't matter. Just continue to force it on them. Uh, I mean, things now seem completely out of control. Employers yeah. should care right. that their employees are not injured, disabled, or die. The, the employers should care. They don't seem to care. We actually had a, a, a officer of one of the major health systems in Texas testify, and he was proud to have so many of his workers vaccinated. It almost seemed like he didn't care what happened to them. Gentlemen, uh, before we get into whether or not these vaccines are actually safe, your thoughts on the doctor's words. What he's describing there, folks, is a cult. This is cultic behavior. This is classic groupthink. We just cognitive dissonance. We continue on with the agenda. The truth doesn't matter. Data doesn't matter. There, there is some interesting data by a fellow named Ethical Skeptic that I, somebody else I would urge our audience to follow on Twitter. And, and he's been going through the VAERS, the, the vaccine adverse effect, uh, you know, database. And what he is finding is that with a couple of exceptions like Michigan, the, the blue states are seeing a, a much lower round of, of, of adverse effects being reported than red states are. And one of the theories out there is that are they being given in these blue states a placebo? Are they being given some other concoction? I have a far more sinister theory as to why that is. Uh, in fact, I, I would actually hope it would be that conspiracy as opposed yeah. to the one that I'm going to propose. I think the reason why this is the case is because in these blue states, I don't want to disappoint the vaccine. I'm afraid if I come forward and tell the truth yes. about mm -hmm. what happened to me, it'll discourage other people from getting it. Yes. And just, just, as, just as the disciples, after, after getting their first scourging for preaching the name of Christ, went back to the upper room and said to their fellow apostles, we count it joy to suffer for the name. In the cult religion, they do too. It's just their name isn't Jesus or Jehovah. Their name is Pfizer. Their name is Moderna. That, they, are, they, they are willing to suffer for their name too. I'm willing to absorb this adverse effect and keep it to myself because I know that this life-saving yep. sacred cow magic potion, I don't, want it, I don't want to have it be denied to anybody else. So I'm happy, Daniel, to suffer for the vax. And, and, and one of the points that, that Dr. McCullough made on this 
if you notice, is that it's not even about COVID. It's a much broader thing. If you would have asked me this time last year that we would come across this wealth of studies, data, negative efficacy, theirs, everything, I would have said for sure it would be pulled off the market. And in fact, it looked like there were a couple of weeks there, start with J&J, when the myocarditis came out. Oh, so like we always pull something from the market, it's, it's done. The reason they can never give this up is because COVID's just the opening shot. It's a broader religion. Yes. Um, You're being conditioned to accept a never-ending regimen that this is the new treatment now. You will just be getting these jabs for virtually anything. Because one of the things Fauci mentioned that's very important in the clip before, he recognized he, he recognized that RSV was one of the failed vaccines. Everyone knows for, what is it, 60 years we have tried, and that's you know potentially dangerous to, to babies and infants. Uh, we have never successfully come up with an RSV vaccine. Next year, at least as of a few months ago, the now former CEO of Moderna, Bansell, he promised that there's going to be a coronavirus flu, RSV, triple combo, and they have about 14, 15 other mRNAs in the pipeline. And this is now the new normal, not to do normal trials, not to have any degree of oversight, dissent, all social norms, bioethical norms. I mean, we have to this day people being denied organ transplants for not getting something that was never studied on patients like that. There is, and, and in fact, all the studies showed that it never worked, even for the original strain, even the illusory temporary efficacy for people that had um, failing organs. So that's the thing. It's not about the COVID shot. This is a new paradigm and that's why it is so important to stop it in its tracks now. You don't stop it now. There's about 15 more down the pipeline. So you mentioned uh, safety studies or the lack thereof. So let, let's get into the safety of this particular uh, mRNA vaccine. I, I want to start with the fertility aspect because there's a fertility aspect with both men and women. Uh, men, there was, of course, the recent study that came out that showed that the vaccination uh, lowered semen count in men. I want to start with my conversation with Dr. McCullough about whether or not men should be worried about these, you know, side effects when it comes to fertility watch. There was actually a peer-reviewed study uh, that evaluated the impact of these COVID-19 injections on sperm motility and concentration. I'm sure, I'm sure you saw it. It found that three months after vaccination, uh, semen concentration was reduced by 15.4%. Uh, you know, you couple that with all of the reports that COVID-19 is causing irregularities in, you know, uh, menstrual cycles, delayed menstruation, early menopause. I've heard these accounts from my son's doctor uh, who is seeing these women who are coming in who are like seven years post-menopause and all of a sudden they're bleeding again um what do you what do you make of this we're seeing low birth rates in taiwan and germany coinciding with when they started uh, vaccinating their citizens what what can we make of all of these things happening in the summer of 2020 i published an op-ed in the hill and the title of the op-ed this is before the vaccines uh, came to market uh the title of it was the great gamble of the COVID-19 vaccine development program. And I said it's a gamble because the vaccines are the genetic code 
for the Wuhan spike protein, which was devised and manipulated in a biosecurity lab in Wuhan, China, that we're going to take the code for the dangerous part of the virus and then install it in human bodies with serial injections every six months. It sounds like a bad idea. It is a bad idea. We know that loaded on lipid nanoparticles, mm -hmm. this dangerous genetic code and spike protein go everywhere in the body. You know, all the autopsy studies have shown it's in the brain, it's in the heart, it's in the bone marrow, it's in the reproductive organs. And then we have this uh, report that just dropped uh, demonstrating reductions in not only absolute sperm count and motility. Now here's a way to interpret this. There's a range of sperm count and motility, those men who are at the lower range, clearly with vaccination, they're gonna be brought into the infertile mm -hmm. range. And it takes months and months and months to recover. So just by the time they recover, they take a mandated booster, they go back into the infertile range. I can tell you as a medical doctor, every man should be concerned. Every young man who's uh, trying to conceive with a woman ought to be enormously concerned. So I, we got into uh, the women fertility aspect, but I wanna get your thoughts on this specifically with men. This, this is the new pro-life issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, it was hard for me to even get excited about the Dobbs opinion because it came out while all this stuff came out because this is tantamount to a forced abortion. You know, you still don't have to get an abortion now. Uh, at least as of now, it's optional in the blue states. But this, they're forcing upon people. We have enough evidence that would be able to co convict a criminal in court at this point. So we knew from day one, we didn't need this study from um, you know, to, to U.S. research institutions, 43% of women in that large sample size uh, reported uh, having, having extra menstrual bleeding. That is not normal. This was known from day one. That was one of the first things. Now, we understand, pursuant to the Nuremberg Code, the Helsinki Accords, and just all the medical norms for over half a century, you don't push anything on pregnant and nursing women that's not affirmatively studied. Fun fact, one of the few medications that have been affirmatively proven safe in pregnant women is hydroxychloroquine mm -hmm. because of lupus. But um, anyway, it turns out, now we know that the lipid nanoparticles, and we've always known this, they're extremely inflammatory. We know that the lipid nanoparticles distribute disproportionately in the ovaries and the testes. We know that It doesn't stay in your arm? No, yeah, that's yeah, right. In yeah. fact, uh, this time last fact, year, they promised us it stayed in it the arm. It stays in the arm. And, yeah. and, 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 and to be fair, some of it does because, you know, a lot of people are getting arm pain like a year later. So at least some of it stays there. <laughs> but the point is, you have it's all over VAERS, the stillbirths, the spontaneous abortions, um, a lot of fertility issues. Now, recently, it's come to light. And this is one of the things like sudden adult death syndrome that even the media is admitting that you look suddenly coinciding with the take-up of the vaccine of that age group across North America and Europe and some Far Eastern countries like Taiwan. The first quarter of 2022, there is a huge drop in the birth rate. Okay, huge drop in the birth rate that's about nine months after starting around December 2021. Um, huge increase in places like Scotland, Iceland of of, of stillbirths. So you could say maybe that's correlation, that's incidental. But then a terrific individual, Igor Chudov, he has a terrific substack. He was banned from Twitter the same week as I was. He took Hungary, which was another country, like most European countries, we see a huge drop off in fertility rates. And you could see on this graphic here um, where he compared the different counties, maybe about 20 of them, different counties in 
uh, Hungary, where the top five most jab counties had the most precipitous drop in birth rate, and the bottom five had the smallest drop. So you, you can't say, oh, well, it's culturally the more conservative areas have more kids because it was rate of decline. And these are smoking, smoking guns. What's the benign, innocent explanation for that? I mean, look, you know, Bill Gates did tell us in 2010 that if we do a real good job with reproductive health, a.k.a. abortion, mm -hmm. and a vaccination program, we could reduce the global population. And, and when he said that famous clip, it was a whole equation, cutting your carbon, your usage, the people. So it wasn't a gaffe. If you listen to that, um, I think there is none because there's no way they didn't know it. I mean, Steve, what, it just happens to deposit in the ovaries? Right. And to go back to that to study on, on semen motility, I think there are two factors there that, that clarify just how, pardon the pun, potent that study happens to be. Number one, it was done of sperm donors. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a woman looking to be artificially inseminated, so I'm go but I'm going to guess that you're likely not looking for the semen of a 75-year-old man, right? Okay, you're probably looking for a man who is healthy in the prime of his health of his life, right? Okay, so keep that in mind. That so they're they're studying some of the best samples that would be available on the market. Number one, number two, they did not. They notice the timetable. They 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 projected in that study that the motility levels remained low for up to six months, and then they kind of left it there. Well, why is that period of time noteworthy? Because what is it they want you to do? What is CDC asking you to do every six months? Go get a booster. Go get a booster. And so... To keep rejuvenating the issue. Yes. Right. And so does it, does it, is this, is it a one-time thing and then after six months it recovers? Or every time you get an injection, does, this, does the same motility deficiency occur? The study never answers that, which sort of makes you think that they left that as a dangling participle out there on their own, knowing that if they did answer that, they probably could not get it published. Mm. And I, I have been asking my audience this question a lot lately, guys. If this was a purposeful depopulation scheme, so over the last 28 months, only one time have I been dinged by Twitter, which has frankly shocked me. That is okay? shocking. And I got suspended for 12 hours when I said hashtag depopulation. Yes. And what that showed me was, because what I have done this entire time is just use their own data. Yeah. All right. I, I let him do the projecting of their data. I just use their own data, knowing that it's a lie, knowing that it's underreported and knowing it's a scam, because if their own data that they're that they're transparently showing us, if their own data is this bad, how bad is it really? And so yes. using their own data has kind of allowed me to tiptoe between the raindrops here a little bit. Mm -hmm. But when I when I when I lost a little discipline and put <laughs> hashtag depopulation, that's when they ping me right away for 12 hours. And that taught me a lesson. That's the that's the rail. Mm -hmm. That's the one you that's can't touch. And so my question is, if this is a purposeful depopulation scheme, what would they have done differently than you, you, what they are doing right you now? Wouldn't, you wouldn't. The reality is they predicted that there would be a boom of babies, kind of like the blizzard babies. Sure. And they found we got that, nothing else to do right, but right. do each other. Do each, and, and we're going to be there for six months. They right. found that with pregnancy tests. There was a greater purchase. There's articles on that. This was not expected. And now it's everywhere in the media, the sudden adult uh you Death know syndrome birth yeah. decline syndrome 
They're just not saying what, what's, what's causing it. But, but I, I, I want to make sure we just zoom back because we'll, we'll talk about cardio. We'll talk about the other adverse events, but particularly when you're talking about pregnancy or even women that want to get pregnant. The, the principle in medicine was always guilty until proven innocent, right? That unless you affirmatively prove something is safe, you don't push it on people. You don't even make it available usually. So when you have this amount of evidence and you don't call a timeout, okay, let's investigate, that is willful. Okay, we don't have to sit and prove with the scientific method um, you know, that could be put in an academic paper that it causes this amount of birth decline before we get it pulled. I mean, you have Germany. Germany for April of this year is down 12% in terms of birth rate from April 2021. And another important thing about this is, inevitably, what's the other big variable? COVID itself. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna have this with each adverse event. But there's actually a beautiful lineup here that the shots began right around calendar year 2021. So in terms of collecting data, this is very clear, just like with the heart ailments we'll talk about, you do not find this problem in the first half of the pandemic in the pre-COVID shot pandemic. So you cannot blame it on the virus. So I want to get to um, to the side effects, particularly for women. I know, Daniel, you touched on it, but I asked Dr. McCullough about, you know, he answered specific to men. And I said, should women be concerned as well? And he says that um, that the, the manufacturers knew that the lipid nanoparticles were going to go to the ovaries to all of these other places before the vaccine was even released. Here's what he had to say. Women should be more concerned for the following reasons is uh, in a paper released from China in 2018, they had described the lipid nanoparticles definitely concentrating in uh, ovaries. Now, this was known before the vaccines were released. So the manufacturers who loaded the messenger RNA and lipid nanoparticles, keep in mind, these are the first vaccines that are loaded on particles that go everywhere in the body. We don't want vaccines to go everywhere in the body. We want them to stay in the arm. So with a, a Freedom of Information Act, the Japanese authorities released a biodistribution study from Pfizer, and the Japanese asked Pfizer, they said, where do these lipid nanoparticles go? And they did the uh, study in animals, and they showed they concentrated in the mammalian female ovary. Now, importantly, female ovaries have a set number of eggs from birth. Mm -hmm. So as the genetic code is installed into ovarian cells and the spike protein is produced in the ovary, not, as, not only is it triggering irregularities in menses, but almost certainly is causing death and destruction of those precious ovarian cells, those mm -hmm. eggs. Eggs are being destroyed. And so on a more probable than not basis, one would conclude with serial injections every six months, women could be rendered infertile. Steve, you're always asking, what is the benign, innocent explanation for this? I just can't think of one. There isn't one. Uh, Naomi Wolf was banned from Twitter, partially because of posting stories of postmenopausal women. I got jabbed, and and I just had a period, or uh, I you know hadn't had a I, I've had two periods in mm -hmm. 30 days. Mm -hmm. um, they have known about this the entire time. Yep. Uh, to to just now be warning us and to and to and to give us a number of 42 percent. Again, what's the number for real? When when Germany's health department comes out this week and says, "Hey, we are going to warn you that one out of every 5,000 doses 
leads to a serious adverse effect. All right, so now the stuff that they are admitting to now is what we tried to tell you a year ago. Right. All right, we looked at the data trends from the actual data, not their fake studies, they, the actual data that were being reported by governments. We warned you about these trends a year ago. And now we're now the stuff, the depopulation stuff we're warning you about now, this is some of the stuff that probably about a year from now, you're going to be hearing more and more people admit to uh, and want to talk about. Because yeah. nowadays, guys, a conspiracy theory is news that it isn't convenient for the, for the regime to confirm quite yet. That's really what a conspiracy theory is. And by the way, few people have been talking about this, but aside from the menstrual issues, which in itself is, is truly unbelievable, how you would just assume, oh, that has no bearings on reproductive health, let's keep going on. It does seem like every single study I have seen, it's theirs, it's the Israeli Health Ministry's survey of, of about 2,000 people got boosters, and a number of studies, women are exponentially more in danger of adverse events. And I know Dr. Ryan Cole once explained it on my show, I think it went over my head <laughs> pathophysiologically how it does that, but with women you see in the Israeli Health Ministry survey, it was almost two to one, especially neurological damage. Um, you know, Just today I saw a study from the United Arab Emirates that 48% uh, in their sample who received uh, a, a shot, 48% incurred systemic reactions, so not just the injection mm -hmm. site, now that in itself is, whoa, that's, that's not normal. 5% sought medical attention. I want you to extrapolate what that number is. There's been 600 million doses given out mm -hmm. in the United States, 600 million doses. Now we know from the Israeli health ministry survey, 0.3% they say were hospitalized in the booster survey. That's that's not people, that's from one dose. Point, do you know about, what 0.3% is? That, that, that's about the CFR of uh, you know what 0.3% is of, of 600 million doses. That, that you're talking about 3 million. 3 million. Incidentally, um, the, the number of those self-reported to the Department of Labor in their household survey on disability or considered disabled in 2021 rose by 2.9 million. There's a lot of numbers that are honing in around that. Um, there's a German paper that has shown, you wanna know this rate of serious adverse events. They say eight in a thousand, which is about close to 1%. Again, 99% didn't have serious, but 1% of several hundred million in America, several billion in the world, that's a, that's a holocaust. That is unreal. And they knew this from day one. We interviewed um, Stephanie DeGuerry, the mother of Maddie DeGuerry, 12-year-old, who was, is, appears so far for life to be uh, totally disabled. She's paralyzed from the waist down, has to use a feeding tube. And it was within 24 hours. They never recorded it. They never reported it. To this day, you can go to the 12 to 15-year-old trial. It's not in there. Um, she had an insane degree of menstrual bleeding, she told me at that time. And then finally she got a doctor who doesn't take insurance, so he doesn't have to worry about billing something as a vaccine injury. And the ailment that, that, that he identified, she didn't even know this until I looked it up. She was on my show, and it's, it's this form of demyelination, a terrible neurological disorder that where your nerve systems attack your body, it's very rare. It turns out it's in Pfizer's document that was released by the court. 
It was among the nine pages of well over a thousand categories of maladies that they were aware of as early or no, no later than February 2021. They were aware of 42,000 adverse events, 1,227 deaths. And they noted that due to the large numbers of spontaneous adverse event reports, um, the staff was forced to prioritize the processing of serious adverse events. They didn't have enough people to cover it. Nine pages of maladies, many of them very rare. They knew about this from day one. So let's get to some of those other some of those other adverse events. Uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about myocarditis. If you ask, you know, one of the public health experts, they'll tell you, "Don't worry, it's just mild. It's fine. You'll go back to normal." Uh, well, I thought, who better to ask about this than mm -hmm. Dr. McCullough? Of course, he is a cardiologist. Mm -hmm. uh, he knows all things heart, and I wanted to ask him because I'm like. It, doesn't seem right mild heart damage doesn't seem that doesn't seem to jive with what I know but I'm not the expert you are uh, so I, I wanted to uh, to ask him about that here's what he had to say I can <laughs> tell you that the principles of cardiology is we preserve heart tissue at all uh, measures yeah. if someone is having a heart attack we put in a stent we open up blood flow we give medications to uh, protect against heart attacks we don't allow one heart cell to be damaged so this idea that we can normalize this, oh, it's mild here, just take some heart damage and you'll be okay. Uh, this, this is, I think, symptomatic of a disturbia. You know, these cardiologists who are not alarmed by this, mm -hmm. uh, two papers by Jenna Schauer, published in the journal Pediatrics, show the heart damage occurring in children who are getting myocarditis, and it's actually the peak age is men age 18 to 24. It's mm -hmm. actually 90% men. It extends to men up all the way up into their 70s, by the way. But um, these people generally young who are sustaining heart damage, A, it's a sizable amount of heart damage by MRI, and we evaluate that with late gadolinium enhancement. And number two, it's not going away. Mm -hmm. So I have now some young people in my practices over a year and they have ongoing heart damage, mm. and they have ongoing symptoms. It's not going away, and it makes sense it doesn't go away because the genetic code is installed to produce the spike protein. A paper by Rokin and colleagues from Stanford in Cell showed the messenger RNA doesn't get out of the body. It's in the body for months, and work by Bruce Patterson at Incel DX shows the spike protein, which is produced by the genetic code, that stays in the body for over a year. Mm. So now people who are taking these vaccines have long-lasting genetic code and long-lasting injurious spike protein that provides ongoing injury to the heart. So there's no way that we can say it's transient because we don't know. Right. There's no way we can say it's mild because we haven't seen the full evolution of this. And there's no way that we can say it's reversible because the data by shower and clinical observations suggest it's not. And then now we have fatal cases published in the literature. Gill and colleagues published from uh, Connecticut, two young boys, they're teenagers. They take Pfizer on days three and four. They're found dead by their parents at home. They don't even have a chance to have CPR. The parents wisely get autopsies, wisely the Connecticut coroner interprets the data, gets University of Michigan and University of Minnesota pathologist involved, publishes a paper in one of the best pathology journals. Conclusions, the vaccines caused fatal myocarditis. We have a mm. paper from Choi in South Korea and one from Verma in New England Journal from Washington University of St. Louis. It's clear now, the vaccines cause fatal myocarditis. Steve. There is a pattern here, and it's a disturbing one. The, the pattern here is that let's let's start with lockdowns 
okay? We, we don't look at the data on lockdowns or, or study the efficacy of lockdowns on the basis of whether the, the grief to profit ratio is worth it, the juice is worth the squeeze, okay? Whether the suffering that we're going to cause, the human condition, will alleviate enough of the human condition to justify it. Instead, the expectation is that you will agree to the suffering in order to, uh, to serve the lockdown, not that the lockdown is here to serve you. We then move on to the mask, same pattern. All right. If you dare to actually ask what the efficacy of the mask is, uh, you uh, you're a hater. Uh, you you want grandma to die. Um, you're a super spreader. Uh, you should be confiscated. You should be quarantined at home. As opposed to, I'm the human being here. I'm the one made it in God. I'm the one made in God's image. I'm the voter. The mask doesn't vote. The mask is an inanimate object. Why am I being asked to serve it? And now we move on to the jab. We have all this data. Same exact pattern continues. All this data. All this alarming data. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to report on it because then people won't continue getting jabs as opposed to asking the question, should people end up continue to get jabs? And what you have seen is in our healthcare system in general, and, th- and I think really Obamacare with its centralized guidelines and, and now we don't ha- now you're a protocol and not a patient. And now you go to your doctor and he just looks up the just thumbs to the CDC guide to see what the code is for your treatment. And, and then just does that. And if you don't want to do that, well, we just we just honor the protocols here. That's all we do. We have taken the humanity out of this process completely. All right. You are totally dehumanized. You are here to serve the protocol. The protocol is not here to serve you. You are here to serve the mask. The mask is not here to serve you. You're here to serve lockdowns and jabs. They're not here to serve you. You are the subservient in this relationship to the treatment. You're just a statistic. You're just a protocol. You're not a person. You're not a patient. If you won't follow the protocol, we can just deny your personhood all the way to a 12-year-old kid can't get a kidney transplant. That is very, very disturbing. And it will have long-term ramifications for healthcare in the West long after we forget what a COVID-19 ever was. And you're a lab rat. You're a lab rat. And what a lab rat is, it's not something that you're even going to learn from even when something went bad with that experiment because it's a rat. So you'll do another experiment upon it. That's the pattern here that we saw for this long. Myocarditis was, well, we knew about that February, March 2021. Yeah. And we all thought, oh, so... Okay, this is over with, right? I mean, this is what we typically did. When we blew past that typical standard, bioethics standard, of pulling, much less not mandating mandating a product, but pulling it, that acculturated the public to accept Mm -hmm. pain. Mm -hmm. And that was not a side entree. That was the main purpose so they could do this in perpetuity. Because what's shocking is many of us are trying to find all these clever ways to better explain and show the magnitude of likely several hundred thousand people died so far from the vaccine in the U.S., likely several million were seriously or long-term injured in the U.S., what are ways we can prove it? But we have to get back to theirs, okay? Let's not forget that in 1986, the drug companies were absolved of all liability for producing these vaccines and marketing them, distributing them, And one of the conditions was that we would have a pharmacovigilance system to go and monitor this. And immediately, immediately from the first month, January 2021, this thing was blowing up and screaming safety signals. There are over 14,000 categories 
categories of maladies, obviously over a million different adverse events, there's over 50,000 myocarditis cases. And as we well know, almost none of it is traced back to the virus. Even in even CDC researchers in JAMA admitted it's likely, and that's a direct quote, likely underreported mm-hmm. over 50,000. But we were, we were okay with that. So now you have all the sudden deaths. People are dropping. So the question we have to ask now, Dr. McCullough is saying there's no such thing as mild heart inflammation. So the question is, was that the tip of the iceberg? There's an unbelievably important FDA pharmacovigilance document that they gave to Comirnaty when they got full licensure in August 2021. And they said, we would like for you to do a study on subclinical myocarditis. Okay, that's the ticking time bomb. You know, maybe you'll drop dead 6, 12, 18 months later. And they noted, FDA cited a study from a smallpox vaccine that evidently had myocarditis issues, that the ratio of subclinical to clinical was 1 to 60. Now, Pfizer admits now that for some age groups, and this is what they admit, you could be down to 1 in 1,000 teenage boys getting myocarditis. 1 to 60 for subclinical is going to get you into the teens there. It's going to get you into a whopping percentage. I would love to do a cardiac MRI on a random sample of a few thousand people. We would discover this. But that is likely why you're seeing this year. I will tell you this in theirs. We have, as of July, almost as many myocarditis entries for 2022 as 2021, even though there's a fraction of the vaccine take up. Is that that subclinical myocarditis, (laughs) the lag, lag starting to be responsible for why we're seeing these people suddenly drop dead? We have mentioned VAR several times Mm -hmm. on this show. Walk our audience through, because I I think people think that this is like a Reddit forum. (laughs) Where you just go in there, dear penthouse forum, I never thought this could happen to me. I got an adverse (laughs) effect. That's not the way this works. This is a elongated process. It is is a time-consuming process. And therefore, it kind of weeds out fake claims because of the effort it takes to report. Explain that to our audience. So so first off, the, the majority of the entries are still doctors and nurses, medical clinicians, um, but, but moreover, you swear under criminal penalty uh, that it's the truth. Believe me, uh, with the stigma against reporting it, mm-hmm. uh, you're not going to do that. Uh, it, what it does is it, it, it bombards you with a degree of specificity of information that you have to have. You have to often look it up. By the time you come back to your computer, it times out. Um, Stephanie DeGarry, the mother of Maddie DeGarry, this is a trial, a child trial participant for Pfizer. She said it took her three days um, to get that up, I have family members and friends that have had pretty substantial injuries. I don't know a single one that did a VARES entry. Mm-hmm. It is woefully underreported. Mm-hmm. Every study has shown an underreporting factor of 30, 40. Maybe for death, it's more like 10 or 15, but there's 30,000 deaths in VARES. That would put you at several hundred thousand. So and this these were is, studies, by the way, these were studies that were done before, pre-COVID. Predated, pre-dated mm-hmm. COVID. Yes. I mean, yeah. pre-dated. That, this, so there was a famous Harvard COVID. study that yes. found it was uh, it was underreported by like 100 to 1. Right. This was about 10 years, I think, before COVID, but go ahead. And that was before you would lose your job Correct. if you right. actually pointed this out. So it's actually insane that there's this degree of reporting in there. It is not our job to say, hey, I'm going to, does that prove with the preponderance of the scientific method? No, that 
you need to call a timeout unless you could affirm that this is not a problem. And indeed, CDC researchers in JAMA affirmed that the myocarditis numbers are real and likely underreported. It so, is, go ahead. Berenson ran some, ran some math on the German Health Department disclosure uh, this week that one out of 5,000 doses could lead to a serious adverse effect. And, and the math he ran came up to about 110,000 people. So I, I, you know, I live in Iowa. That, the third largest city in Iowa is Davenport. It has 100,000 people. I recently spoke in Billings, Montana at the Reagan dinner there. That's the largest city in Montana. And that's about the population of Billings, Montana. So let's, let's go to pre-COVID, before COVID ever existed. You get up one day, Sarah. And, and the top story on the news, every citizen in Billings, Montana, has paralysis, uh, some form of heart inflammation, infertility, is hospitalized, right? Some form of one of these serious maladies that are in the VAERS uh, database. That would be the leading story story on the news. What in the world is going on in Billings, Montana? What's happened to their birth rate? Mm -hmm. What are they drinking? What's going on there? Something must be done. We got to get to the bottom of this. And yet, crickets. But then since then, since then, Every single thing that has come out has demonstrated theirs is the tip of the iceberg. Again, the famous Pfizer document with the nine pages of ailments, all of those are in theirs. And they're in Pfizer's own document, which the FDA um, was apprised of What's as well. What's the benign innocent explanation for why the FDA didn't want you to see those for 55 years? Because by then, most of us will be dead right. if we don't have myocarditis by then. I mean, yeah. that's, that's more so or less So there isn't a benign and innocent explanation. No, no, yes. no, there isn't. And, and Steve, more stuff corroborates all of this. And, and you know, obviously, you're going to hear a lot of different studies. And studies, people's eyes gloss over. Um, there's been over 1,200 peer-reviewed studies uh, um, documenting basically injuries and maladies affecting every corner of your body from this shot. These are peer-reviewed. I'm not just talking about the preprints. But there's there's several important data points that bring this out extremely clearly how they purposely violated the Nuremberg um, ethics and the Nuremberg Code. So this was, I haven't checked recently, but the numbers probably haven't changed much. As of March 10th, 2022, if you look in the military, Attorney Matt Staver of Liberty Council presented this to a federal judge in Florida, and this is very verifiable. There were 127 theirs reported COVID vaccine-related deaths in the military. Military is a great case study because it's a confined, defined, predominantly young population. 127, because they, they could also do VARES entries. And I could tell you the stigma of a military doctor reporting this is unbelievable. So you had 127. Now, we know they are woefully underreported. As of that point, there were 93 reported COVID deaths in the military. And we know generally those are overreported. A lot of incidentals are thrown in. 93 COVID deaths, 127 woefully underreported vaccine-related VAERS reports in the middle that straight up violates the Nuremberg Code. So as we're talking about all of these, I mean, the, the data seems very clear when you look at it, and yet we're still being told by our public health experts to give this vaccine to our children. Um, I talked to Dr. McCullough about this and, um, you know, what 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 should a parent do, right? Maybe we I haven't convinced them. Steve hasn't convinced them. You, Daniel, haven't convinced them. What You tell these parents what they should do uh, with all of this data that we're seeing, with all of the VAERS reporting, the adverse event uh, reports that we're seeing, 
What should a parent do? Should a parent give their children this vaccine? Here's what Dr. McCullough had to say. Under no circumstances should children receive the genetic code for the Wuhan spike protein. It sounds bad. It is bad. This is what we know. In the adult population, it's turned out to be a catastrophe. On June 11th, the World Council for Health, which represents over 70 non-governmental organizations worldwide, put out a recall on these vaccines. Worldwide, the safety databases, so that's the U.S. CDC VAERS system, Yellow Card, UDRA, and the WHO VigiSafe, together they're reporting 40,000 people have died if, within a few days of taking the vaccine. 40,000. Typically, a handful of products get off the market. We know from a Freedom of Information Act request that Pfizer knew about 1,223 deaths mm -hmm. within 90 days of release of their vaccine. And the FDA tried to block that document to Americans for 55 years. So the FDA, Pfizer, the CDC is complicit in what's considered now large-scale fraud for children. Our CDC told us in February 75% of kids have already been through it. Probably now with the tail of the Omicron is far over 80%. That's the first point. The second point is that uh, in children is characteristically a mild illness, so it's not, medically it's not medically necessary or it's clinically indicated. The randomized trials demonstrated no clinical benefit to children, meaning there was no reductions in risks of uh, hospitalization and death. The registrational trials by Frank and Walther published in the New England Journal of Medicine they actually showed the kids got sicker with the vaccines mm. than they would with COVID. There's more fever, more side effects. In a paper by House and colleagues, MMWR, December 31st, 2021 issue, uh, alarmingly, the parents were reporting what happened to the children through the VSAFE system, and parents reported the children were becoming incapacitated with getting this vaccine. They couldn't go to school. They were very, very sick. Now in the spring, we actually have had some real-world data come forward by uh, Dora Bawilla and Fleming Dutra in JAMA showing that even when children do take the vaccines, there is essentially negligible vaccine efficacy. It's far less than 50%. There hasn't been a single person at the FDA or CDC who summarized the data as I did with citing the papers. We are basically in a free fall of regulatory mm -hmm. incompetency, malfeasance, and wrongdoing. Uh, there is willful blindness to the safety yeah. events that are happening uh, right now, willful blindness, blindness to calls for recall, and now the children are in the crosshairs. Patients should take every measure to protect their children. So, let's, okay, set bears aside, right? We have all of these other safety databases and combined with with VAERS, with the WHO VigiSafe, with Yellow Card, with UDRA, 40,000 people have died within a few days of taking the vaccine. Um, and that's not counting all of the other adverse reactions, that's just talking about death, right? So, as a parent, I'm just saying, um, who are you going to trust? Dr. Peter McCullough, who sees these patients come into his clinic, right? He has to deal with all of this extensive heart damage. Or are you going to trust a big government who's telling you, don't believe your eyes, don't believe your ears, don't believe these safety databases, just jab your kid and be done with it. Well, actually, don't be done with it because you're going to do it again in another six months when it doesn't work. It's just, it's so frustrating because, Daniel, you mentioned VAERS. This is the only accountability that they gave us. Yes. For indemnifying these pharmaceutical companies, this was the only the, the only accountability that they gave us. And they said, it's okay, we'll have this system instead. And now, when the system is not giving the numbers that they want, they say, well, you can't trust that system because right. just anyone can report it. You have nowhere to turn. Government partnered with it. They funded it. They distributed it. Yeah. They marketed it. 
and then they mandated it. Then any piece of information you want to put out, you're censored. Any medical practitioner who wants to dissent, you lose your board certification. Right. You could even lo lose your medical license. It's checkmate. The last recourse you have is through the court system mm -hmm. is for, you know, not just recovering damages, but more importantly, in terms of the macro policy, the discovery. And they took that away. So there's quite literally nothing you can do. That is the most odious form of fascism you could ever imagine, this public-private partnership that, that boxes us out. And this is why this is the most important issue, the, the rallying cry for this election really should be subjecting the, the vaccine companies to liability. If it's safe, you should have nothing to fear. If it's safe and effective, let me tell you, you should have nothing to fear. On this point, I just want to bring up one data point that's really important people get. There's one thing that matters from every study, and that is the follow-up of the actual participants mm. of the trials, all-cause death, all-cause hospitalization. What that means is this. It's very murky, but everyone denies. Did the guy suddenly drop when he was 25 out of nowhere and he was healthy because of the vaccine or because of another purpose? Was it COVID? You know, did it help a little bit for COVID, but maybe harm other systems in the body? At the end of the day, in their six-month follow-up in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, Pfizer's all-cause mortality, the trial participants, 20 in the trial group died 14 in the placebo died, and then they unblinded everyone so we can never follow them up really long-term. What about all-cause hospitalizations? Dr. Peter Doshi, um, in the prestigious British Medical Journal, he's the editor of that journal, and he published a preprint with other authors, and they looked at all-cause hospitalizations. And again, this was for the original Wuhan strain when it had a little bit of efficacy short-term. Now it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And they found that there was a net increase in hospitalizations of serious adverse events of 7.8 per 10,000 vaccinated with Pfizer and 8.7 per 10,000 vaccinated with Moderna over the supposed slight benefit in hospitalization for the original Wuhan strain before the negative efficacy kicked in for COVID. Straight up there, they knew it was a negative, the all-cause proposition, and we don't need to look at studies. In a macro sense, no one will disagree mm -hmm. that 2021 and now 2022 have been horrible mortality years. Why? Yeah. Steve, uh, in Canada, uh, there's like Canadians who have already been approved for a COVID-19 vaccine injury payout. Uh, there's a gentleman who got Guillain-Barre syndrome. I believe they they were they paid him about uh, $90,000, which he, of course, says, I mean, I'm glad that you're paying me, but this really mm -hmm. doesn't make up for all of the suffering emotionally, physically that happened to me. Why aren't we seeing this happening uh, in America? We're not a nation of laws and we never have been. We are a nation of political will, and we always will be. And so ultimately the American people get what they want when they show that's what they, that, that they really want it. Mm. And you're gonna, you're gonna need to really lean on your politicians that the time has come to end this blanket liability, especially in an era where we just had to fight whether I could hold a job uh, depending on whether I get this jab or not. I mean, stop, stop and consider, it was August 5th of last year 
August 5th of last year is when Rochelle Walensky of CDC went on with Wolf Blitzer on CNN and admitted on national television that the jabs, this was, and this was during Delta, that the jabs no longer are effective against transmission. That was August 5th. Did they drop the call for mandatory vaccination to leave your house, to go to a movie, to get a job, to go anywhere, to go to an amusement park? Did they drop that stuff on August 6th? Did they drop it on August 7th? Did they drop it after Labor Day? Did they drop it in October? Did they drop it in November? No, they didn't drop it until the Supreme Court told them to. And then they only did that for the private sector and are still doing it to the military and the healthcare personnel. Why? Why? What? What is before we even before we even have the high-minded, idealistic conversation about the Nuremberg Code and bodily autonomy and the Constitution that guys like Daniel and I want to have? Before we even get there, yeah. Okay. Let's just ask a very basic question: What is the point? The medical point, the medical benefit of forcing an experimental jab onto people that won't even stop the infection that you're supposedly jabbing against. There's no benign, innocent answer for that. All of the answers to that are a bad. They're all bad. Somewhere from just mass form psychosis, complete incompetence to, we want to use, the, we never let a good crisis go to waste. So we will use this as a precedent to show that in the future, whenever we snap our fingers, all right, we can violate your bodily autonomy yes. with whatever experimental substance we concoct later on. And, and that's why they started with the lockdowns. Because the lockdowns, they wanted to use the time when the fear was the greatest yeah to do the most severe thing and then slowly parse away some particles of freedom. Okay, you don't have to have a full lockdown, but you, you gotta wear a mask. Mm -hmm. Here's what you need to do because it was to show we don't need due process standards. Right. We don't need to show our work. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, obviously Nuremberg Code, Constitution's out the window, but evidentiary standards. So we, we, we joke about it, but it's true. We now know there is quite literally Nothing we can show, no piece of data study could come out about the efficacy or safety of either the shots or even the mask, which everyone's making fun out of now. But the reality is we still would have had it on the airplanes uh, if not for a random federal judge. And I hear in some areas, in, in pretty hot areas, 100 degree weather like we have here in, in the south this time of year. You have military drills and exercises still taking place in masks. It doesn't matter. No one will they're tell making, you it works. They're, they're making TSA agents in some part of the countries wear them again at airports because of the COVID infection rates in that particular community. As we speak, that's going on. It, it doesn't matter. And my question is, could you blame them? Could you blame them? What is going to stop it? That, 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 what they learned is uh, they were able to successfully get people roped into this, even in 70, 30 Trump counties, we saw officials were enforcing this. I remember seeing pictures of, you know, men arrested in Idaho, a red state, for having a church choir outside. It's unbelievable if you think back to that. Outdoors, a woman at a, at a high school football game in Ohio, another red state, tased outdoors, wasn't wearing a mask, outdoors. And was there much outrage? And that's the question. How do we make this an issue that will bring that political will? Because 
we could point to the rule of law all we want. They violated every law under the sun. They don't care. Right, right. It's kind of like catch me if you can. Mm -hmm. You're sitting, you're, you look at the situation with the military. There was a, a case recently involving the Navy where a, uh, a, Navy, uh, a Navy sailor actually won a case before a three-judge tribunal uh, against the jab mandate on the grounds that he proved to them that this was a clear violation of the Uniform Code of Military Justice because the version of the jab that was fully approved by the FDA uh, is not the one that is being marketed here in the U.S. and will never be marketed here in the U.S. And they cannot, according to the UCMJ, they cannot forcibly demand you take a vaccine that it does not have full FDA approval. And this three-judge panel was just stunned and shocked. To th they didn't believe that this was possibly true. And then it was proven to them that it was. How many people watching us right now are hearing about this mm -hmm. for the very first time? Mm -hmm. How many military people, I know all three of us get tons of emails from military people all over the country. Can you help? Can you help direct me? Where do I go? How do we defend our freedoms mm -hmm. while we're defending your freedoms, right? Mm -hmm. um, how many of them are hearing about this for the first time? How come the Navy didn't take that precedent and say, you know what, we need a full-blown court-martial or whatever's higher than that version in, within that judiciary system than the three-judge panel that saw that case? in San Diego, uh, because it's very clear here that we might be in violation of the UCMJ. They don't care. They're, they're, they don't care. There is no data that you could, that, there's no data that you could provide them that could get them to go against this. Why? Because we live in a society now that, 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 that truth isn't the highest virtue, mercy, grace, compassion, merit, achievement, things that have traditionally defined what it meant to be exceptional in America, compliances. And that's why the same people who started with pronouns in their bios, then went to masks, then went to their jab card, and are now flying their Ukraine flags. It's to show I'm down. I am compliant with the new current yes. thing. I comply with the spirit of the age. Mm -hmm. And so when you're dealing with that level of cultic behavior, the only thing that you can do to make it stop is you have to bring a show of force in the political arena greater than the force of their compulsion in order to make it stop. You know, I see, uh, we just talked about this on my show the other day, that in San Diego, I believe it, it was, that they just brought back mask yeah. mandates. Yes, and the, the superintendent's on TV literally yep. just saying, if you don't want to wear a mask, then you're not going to be able to come to school. Yeah, well, then so, I guess you choose not to come. So here's what needs to happen. 20 dads, not mm -hmm. moms. Mm -hmm. God bless our mama bears, but enough of the lone mama bears. The Honestly, dads, we're tired of being the only ones to I know you to are, because everywhere I go in slack. the country, when I say enough <laughs> of the mama bears, where are the men? The women erupt in applause. Yeah. The dads get together in San Diego, start making phone calls and say, first day of school, 20, 30, 40 of yep. us taking the kids to school, walking them into the school without a mask, and we ain't leaving until they seat our kid at the school and say, on with the rest of your day. And then if they don't, we'll be back again tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. That's what it will take. The Redcoats wanted to tax Samuel Adams and the Sons of Liberty, too. Do you know why they couldn't get away with it? Because if they sent a tax collector into the towns that the Sons of Liberty controlled, those guys didn't want that gig. They were walking out of their tarred and feathered. You need to become ungovernable by the spirit of the age. Yeah. So that it won't even think of enforcing its edicts on you because it knows that it can't. If 30 or 40 percent of Americans had agreed to have their toddlers given this jab, I promise you all over the country, they would have said any place, a, a daycare that gets Head Start, yep. any place that gets federal funding, you cannot put your kid in there without the jab.
All right. They won't do that now. Why? Because only 2% are doing it. Therefore, you're unenforceable. You're ungovernable. They can't enforce it on you. Our people need to realize they need to become ungovernable by the spirit of the age. Do not wait for your red state senator. Do not, unless you're governed by Ron DeSantis and a handful or a handful of other people, do not wait for some all clear that is never coming. Mm. Assert your freedom. It's government by the consent of the governed. Do not consent. And it's all at, at that local level, the school, bo- school boards we're seeing that's important. Um, you, you mentioned the Redcoats. A lot of people criticized the Patriots at the time. Really, you're going to engage in the struggle against the greatest naval power just because of a couple of taxes. It wasn't really a big deal. And the point, it was articulated by John Adams, nip the shoots of arbitrary power in the bud, as well as uh, Patrick Henry's give me liberty or give me death speech. Was that if you wait until the arbitrary power grows, you will no longer be able to Correct. push back. And what they learned in 2020 was that they were able to say, we are criminalizing your human breathing. You cannot live and walk with breathing. And at the time I said, if they could do that to you, quite literally, what could they not do to you? And that's, I think, a point that people need to recognize in closing here. It's not just about the vaccine, and it's not just even about medical freedom. It's about the fact that because medical freedom deals with the most intimate part of your being, your body, and there's nothing they can't do to you, no legal standard, no moral standard, no evidentiary standard will stop them. This is not just about a pandemic. You can't ride it out. They're already talking about climate change emergency, and you're seeing in Europe and other places they're having shutdown type of edicts based on weather or Mm -hmm. other natural disasters. Or we're worried about the Dutch farmers polluting us, so we're going to confiscate your land. Mm. There's no end to what they can do once we allowed ourselves to be groomed into the culture of lockdown. Yeah. Uh, Well, just look, Peter McCullough, Dr. Peter McCullough, he had a lot more to say Make sure that you check out the full interview. It is available now on the News and Why It Matters page here on Blaze TV. Uh, I think we, I think we pretty much pulled together every crazy conspiracy theory that all of a sudden, six to twelve months later, turned out to be true about the <laughs> totally safe and effective genetic injections that alter your DNA. And uh, I mean, look, it feels very cathartic to finally release. It's one of those. I hate to say I told you so. I really, really hate to say I told you so. Guys, I'm sure you can relate. I really hate to say I told you so. We tried to tell you. I hope you're listening now. Uh, There may be some of you out there who did get the vaccine, and maybe now you regret it. You may be wondering, what can you do to heal your body from the potential damage this vaccine has done? Daniel, I know, uh, spoke to Dr. Henry Ely about this last week, and his best advice for those who want to heal from the jab is intermittent fasting combined with proper nutrition, which he says is one of the best ways to get your body into the optimal cellular environment for healing to occur. Now, to those of you who haven't taken the jab, there is still something you can do. Uh, Certainly, you have friends and family who are vaccinated and considering getting boosted for the bajillionth time. Maybe you know someone considering getting the jab so they can keep their job or so they can travel abroad because those restrictions are still up. So here's what you can do. Show them this special. Tell them what you learned and what you heard here tonight. Big tech obviously is not going to let us talk about it anywhere else. That means you guys now are the ones who have to become the messengers. Do not let your loved ones be deceived and fall into mass formation. Help them see the truth. 
your children and grandchildren's health and honestly the overall health of our entire country depends on it. So thank you guys very much for your expertise. I know you have spent uh, so many, so much time, many, many hours, uh, years of your life now dedicated to going through all of this material and uh, presenting it to your audiences. So uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see ya.